bit, uh, but we are tag teaming today because it is Church Planting Sunday, and so um, I will. Uh, my hope is uh, we will split this sermon in half, and as we do so, here's what I hope that you see, um, and here's what I hope that you will sense, is um, Abram's call is our call, and so what I would hope is to tie in what Abram has gone through, what God says to Abram in Genesis 12, and as you um, kind of soak in what God says to Abram in Genesis 12, you would then start to understand or start to kind of think about how does this relate to my life? And, and, and my hope, really, is that we end with this call to church planting, because it is Church Planting Sunday. So, so I'm going to preach on, on Abram. I'm going I'm to recap a little bit of Genesis for us so we can get our minds right. And then um, we'll talk about church planting, really the what of church planting. And then our church planter, his name is Josue, he's going to talk about the who and the how of church planting. And so that's, that's kind of how we're going to break this out for the day if you want to just gather, uh, uh, follow along. So look, we've been in Genesis. We took a break for Lent. We celebrated the resurrected king on Easter, and he's just as risen today as he was last week. Yes? Yes. And yet already I can feel it. it there's less energy in the room. There's less expectancy in the room. There's less uh, volume in the room. Because the reality of Easter sometimes wears off for us. Wears off for us. It's, it, we, we find it to be an emotional experience, and yet there's so much more substance than just an emotion that may be like a vapor. There is a call to live resurrected lives. And that's not just, we will talk about this, that's not just living in the power of the resurrection over the defeat of sin, but also doing some things and listening with a new ear to do some things that we may have said we'll never do in our lives. One of them being going. Let's recap a little bit of Genesis 1 through 11, right? Over however many weeks we did Genesis 1 through 11, if you have your Bible, if you could just turn to the left, what we would find is that Genesis 1 and 2 is this beautiful account of creation. And really, that we miss the point if we get caught up in, in this debate over young earth creation or old earth creation. Instead, the whole point of the creation narrative is that the God of the Bible is above it all, is Lord of all is the king over whatever you, whatever conviction you have about how old the earth is, it doesn't matter. Because Moses wrote as a polemic, a war of words against the culture of the ancient Near Eastern culture to say, oh cool, you worship the moon? My God made the moon. Oh cool, you worship the sun? My God made the sun. That's the point. He named it. He put it in its place. He knew exactly what he was doing in Genesis 1 and 2. And he put man and woman in that, into that garden that he created to cultivate it, right, to work the garden. And what happened? We distrusted the, uh, our God's word. We instead trusted creation's word, which was a serpent. And he said, do you really think um, that God has given you everything you need? And of course, we believe no. He's been holding out on us. And we believe the great lie that we could become like God if we would just eat of a certain tree. But reality is we were already like God. We were already made in God's image, and we gave it all up. And we gave into the lie of the fall, which is autonomous living. That's the lie of defining good and evil on your own. That's the lie that the enemy infected us with. And so if you, we, we talked about this as, as men over the retreat, like some of the things that we're struggling with as men, and I would imagine women too, but like we, we struggle with self-reliance. Why? Because it's at, the, at the heart of self-reliance is that we want our life to live exactly how we want our life to turn out. It's autonomous living, defining good and evil, life and death, 
based on however it is we want to define those things. That's Genesis 3, right? This autonomous life. And then if you go into Genesis 4, what you see is the spread of sin through the descendants of Adam and Eve, not through Abel, because Abel was murdered by his brother Cain. And you see the spread of sin going on and on into Genesis 5 and then into Genesis 6, where it comes to the point where the Bible says that the thoughts of humanity were only evil continually. So God floods the earth. And he saves a man and his wife and his three sons and their wife. And when they get off the boat, if you remember this, right, Noah plants a vineyard. He works the vineyard. God gives fruit to the vineyard. And then he gets drunk off of the fruit of what God has provided. He shames himself. And then his son came in and shamed him with his brothers. And there was a, there was a curse handed out in Genesis chapter 9 when they got off the boat. And that curse was to Canaan. This is important for today. The curse was on Canaan. But in that time, God also made a covenant with Noah that regardless of his behavior, that he would provide for Noah. That he would be in a covenant relationship with God forever. And then Genesis 10 goes on, and you have what is known as the table of nations. It's all these people that came from the line of Noah. And then we ended our first part of Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis uh, part one on beginnings in the Tower of Babel. And so if you just think about what we've seen, Genesis 1, God creates all things, and he says to the male and the female, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And then in Genesis 11, these humans that were fruitful, these humans that multiplied, then came together and did not fill the earth. They congregated. You got to hear this now. They congregated. They huddled. They started to build their strengths together. They started to gather their materials. And they said to themselves in Genesis 11, come. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. That's the great sin of the Tower of Babel, and what we know then is that God looks down on his people, and he says, this is fun. Look at how cute they think they can go. We're going to go down, and we're going to scatter their languages, and that's why we have languages from all over the world. This is where we scattered out all over the world historically, biblically. And that was the curse, right? And so now all of a sudden we get into Genesis 12. And if your Bible's like my Bible, it says the call of Abram. But I don't want you to just think this is a call for one man or one family, but I want you to understand that this is also your call. And how can I say that so confidently? Well, it's out of this other passage in the New Testament, out of Galatians chapter 3, and it's going to come up on your screen, but if you want to mark it or write that down, Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9. You see, you gotta just don't just receive the blessing that God pronounces on Abram and his people, but to also be a blessing. This is what Galatians says. Know then that it, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You, friends, are a son or a daughter of Abraham. When it says that all the nations will be blessed through you, Abraham, in Genesis 12, verse 3, that means you, by faith, are that blessing. You are the fulfillment of Genesis 12 and 15, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. It goes on, verse 8 in Galatians 3, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify, uh, justify the Gentiles, that would be you and me, by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. We just read, according to Galatians, the gospel that God will bless all the nations through Abraham, through us. So then, those who are of faith, verse 9, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is our call along with Abram's call because we are grafted into his family by the blood of Jesus. And so since all of this is true, how can you live with a disposition of blessing other people? And it started in Genesis 1. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. How then can you be a person that participates in that mandate to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth? Not just with our own physical children, but with spiritual children, because that's what we are of Abraham. And so further, not just what does it look like for you and your family, but what does it look like for a church that has a disposition of blessing the nations? And I would say it revolves around a one main activity of planting, church planting, and we'll get to why. So again, I want to unpack the call in Genesis 12, and then I want to draw that bridge over to church planting. So first, let's talk about Abram. Abram's call to go in Genesis chapter 12. If you remember what we just read, Abram was called to leave his family. And you got to think back in the day, your family is where you're going to get all your relationships. Um, your relational core, your identity, your vocation is going to be found in what your dad did or what your mom did, really what your dad did. Your mom was the, the housekeeper. There was no career for her except keeping the home. So what, if you were a boy, you took on whatever it is that your dad did. And Abram is being called to leave all that. Leave your security, leave your relationships, leave your financial future, whatever your dad did, he's going to hand over to you. And you're not starting from scratch. You've got to leave all of it. Leave your country, leave your religion, leave all sources of security and comfort and identity. And then he says, go to a place I'm going to show you. Now, I don't know about you, but if God's going to call me to leave everything, I want to know where he's going to send me. But he withholds that little piece of information. I'll show it to you, Abram. First, you got to go. There's no wonder that Abram is called the man of faith, the father of our faith, right? We make excuses because we don't see the end before we step out and start to make the first steps towards obedience. God doesn't tell Abram where he's being sent, but God, here's the deal, right? God wants us to find our rest in the fact that God knows our destination. So do we need to know that it's going to be a success before you're obedient? Do we need to know, do you need to know the end game before you jump out and start to be obedient on the journey? Most of you know this. I usually tell this story in our partnership class. But when we felt like we were planting this church, when I sensed the call of God planting this church, I was also kind of brought back into Matthew 14 where, where Jesus is outside of the boat and he calls Peter out of the boat. And I thought, man, I don't want to get out of this boat. It's safe. It's secure. I'm not out on the storm. I'm good. And what I realized over about a six-month discernment period, that it was far more dangerous for me to stay in the boat than it was for me to get out on the waves with Jesus. Because in the safety of the boat, was disobedience. And the safety of the boat 
was unfaithfulness. But if I were to step out, I couldn't see past Jesus, right? I couldn't see that it was going to be a success. I couldn't see you. I couldn't see y'all. I didn't know your names. I had no idea about your families, no idea about your stories. I had no idea what God was going to do on an Easter Sunday seven or eight years later. Where, where like we all sense, I don't know about you last week, but I just sense the Spirit's presence in a unique and special way that we could get caught up trying to reduplicate that this week if we just call for more baptisms. But there's something special about that. That was, a, that was, a, that was a, 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 a mark in our church, in the life of our church, that was special, different. It was new. I, I didn't mean to see that. All I saw was Jesus, and beyond Jesus and stepping out of the boat of your vocation, of your family, of your security, of your suburban home, of your, of your safety, and your media room, there's all you may see out of the call for church planting and for going and make disciples is Jesus and a whole lot of fog. And what I think he's calling us to remember is Jesus, seeing him is enough. Or is he? Do we need smooth circumstances? Just remember that the waves died down after disobedience for Peter. After he got his eyes away from Jesus, it was only then that Jesus said, okay, no more storm. These guys have had enough. Get back in the boat, oh, ye little faith. Okay, I'm sorry. Just remember that the waves didn't die down like before he got out there. No, there was trouble, and the same thing goes for Abraham. See, God promises Abraham that he will be a conduit of blessing. He will not be a cesspool of blessing. Now, that, I'm using that word on purpose. When you go down a river and the river stops and it just turns into a cesspool and the river just quits going, that's oftentimes the American church. This river of grace is ready to flow and we go, but we could build a dam right here and enjoy all the water. We could enjoy all the grace. And everyone downstream from what God has given us is dried up and in a famine. And we're going, but we just love, look at all this that God's provided. But there's trouble. And a lot of it is in our hearts, but sometimes it's in understanding that we will make every excuse possible to not be a, a, a conduit of blessing, a river of grace, right? Because if we look and reread what happened in Abram's life, he also had some trouble. I don't know if you caught this little detail in verse 4. Abram went. He was obedient. As the Lord just had told him, and Lot went with him, his nephew. Abram was 75. Do you think anybody in here, if you're over 50, 60, 70, I don't know if we have any over 80, did you think that you were done? Did you give in to the American dream that you get to 65 and then you're retired and then you get to receive blessing? receive it to give it. That's what you're here for. This is a younger church, y'all. I remember years ago when we first started, people would show up and they go, where's all the old people? And I said, you're it. And they were like 35. You're it, man. Like you're the old person now. It's no longer time for you to receive. It's now a time for you to be a giver. And I know that's a radical shift for most of us. But if you've passed 40, you're it. And so if you hear this, you go, well, I'll just wait until I'm 75 to do something amazing. Come on, people. 
let us not give in to these lies of excuses. Instead, that's one obstacle of his age. Second obstacle, if you keep reading in verse, oh, say about seven. So he goes, and then he passes through the land uh, to the place at Shechem, uh, to the oak of Moray, which history tells us that was a place of idol worship, of Canaanite idol worship. At the t- and at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. I don't know about you, but if God promises me a promised land, I don't want anybody else to be there. That poses a problem. Abram shows up, and guess who's there? Not just any people. The cursed son of Noah. The Canaanites. And God knew this all along, did he not? Yes, he did. And he knows what's ahead of you, brother. He knows there's Canaanites in the land. He knows there's a bunch of people that are in this room and whoever else you're going to meet at the box and at the coffee shop and wherever else, and they're going to go, no, I'm, I'm too old for this. Right? And so instead, the other obstacle, this is verse 7, now, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. I don't know about you, but I am going to have a hard time planting a church if success is guaranteed to my son Moses and Reese and Ellie. It's to their generation that there will be a blessing. But I'm old, and now you're telling me to leave all this stuff, and now i got to go to a place I don't even know. And now that I'm here, you got people here already, Lord. What are you doing? And now it's not to me. It's to them, and my wife is barren. Like, how long are we going to wait, man? There's obstacles. There's always going to be an obstacle in the way. And I think one of the greatest obstacles that we have is this tension for us. And the tension in our suburban context is this, this, this idea of, of building something, collecting resources, and being comfortable, and instead of just releasing everything and being uncomfortable. Of connecting with one another. Mm, I just love my neighborhood group. Love them. I don't ever want to multiply out. I don't ever want to take two or three couples and go start something new because this is something special. And yet there's a whole group of people in Pecan Grove or Long Meadow Farms or McCray Meadows that don't know Jesus and they need the room in your living room to find him. Will we collect? Will we connect? Will we find comfort? Will we protect all the things that we have? Will we focus on a church as a church? Or will we release, lean into discomfort, Obey the Lord when he says go and leave all this comfort behind. Obey the Lord when we would be ascending church. Obey the Lord as he releases us into the world to be a blessing to others. We would not focus on a church called the Grove Church. It would probably more appropriately a Grove Church. And instead release and send into multiple churches over time. You see, I think that this little uh, matrix is helpful. I've re-adopted it to be church planting. And I think everything on this side is our danger. That we would find ourselves in a holy huddle. Just digest this a little bit, right? Over here is low mission, right? High community. Oh, I love my neighborhood group. Mm, Going to huddle forever. This is mostly like what we've experienced with church. Down here, low community and low mission is Sunday school. You're just, you're just intake. We could call that a Sunday gathering as well. You're in rows. You're not face-to-face. You're not really connecting a whole lot except for past the peace and, and before and after. And so we could just call this like low community, 
um, high education, which is fine, but also low mission. This isn't the place where we're on mission. We've never thought Sunday morning was for non-believers. It's for you. It's for you to hear the gospel again and again and again and again. And if non-believers want to come and hear the message, praise the Lord. But our primary objective is for you to receive the gospel so that you will then go out onto this side of this matrix, not necessarily as a lone ranger evangelist because that's really tiring. You're going to burn out. If you think you can reach Fort Bend County by yourself, pick a friend. But up here, that's where we want to be. We want to be high mission, high community, so that what we're enjoying as God has blessed us, we then would send out or go for the sake of the gospel. That's our hope. That's Abram's call. And then I think for us, we have to understand it is also our call. So if you remember the passage we read in Genesis, or excuse me, Galatians 3, right? We are the fulfillment of the promise of, of going, the promise of blessing. We just celebrated Easter. And a great connection to that is in Matthew 28, right? You know this. It's the Great Commission. I think it's a beautiful tie-in to this call for Abram to go, be uncomfortable, to go make the world truly God's place of living and dwelling again, even though the Canaanites are there. You go, Abram. And even though this world is dark and dangerous and unpredictable and uncomfortable, you go now, church, you children of Abram. And we do so with this call, this resurrected Jesus. He got up, he got to the mountain, he met his boys up in Galilee, and he said this in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Again, obedience. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You were a doubter? You're in good company. Some of us veil our doubt with, I'm just a critical thinker. Yeah, yeah, me too. You keep thinking critically, and what you're going to find is the truth. The truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. And he said, on this mountain, where some were worshiping and some were doubting, doesn't wait for the community to get perfect. Instead, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, so a.k.a. I'm the one in charge, not you of your life. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what should you do? You teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And all of a sudden, disciples are being made just a couple of chapters later in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends on the church. All of a sudden, you see the first church being birthed, and the first thing that happens is that the multitudes receive Jesus by God's grace through faith, and they believe, and they're forever changed for all of eternity. And what happens? They multiply. Churches get birthed out of this call. And so Abram's journey into this strange land, yes, was met with obstacles, but it was also met with presence, if you went back to Genesis chapter 12, what you would find in verse, oh, say about seven again, is this beautiful promise. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram. If we will go, there is a promise of presence that we would not experience while we were comfortable. There's just something here, something special about risking it where God draws near to us while we're dependent upon him. 
And if you are reading the text like I am, he goes on in verse 7. So he built there an altar for the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved into the hill country. This is not a call to go plant churches in the hill country, although if you want to, this might be. On the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to the Lord. What is Abram doing? The commentators are in agreement in what Abram is up to. You see, God had created the whole earth, and it was becoming corrupt again after the fall through the curse of Canaan. And Abram was sent as a beacon of light into a dark place to reclaim the promised land for the kingdom. So when he's setting up altars, he is saying, we will no longer worship idols in this place. We will worship the true and living king. So Fort Bend County stands before you. You think there's any idol worship here in Fort Bend County? Yes, no? And, and I wonder what God's plan and strategy is to also then bring altars into dark places that faithful men and women can build up because they've experienced something special with him. It's through church planting. Abram was taking back land for the king and the kingdom and his purposes, and I believe that church plants act in a very similar way. Before I go on on why we're ch planting churches, I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Those of you who have been to the Grove for a while or just for a little bit of time, why do you love it here? What have you experienced uniquely in this little church plant? You come to a school. You come to the back entrance of a school, and nothing is set up for you. And you pull a trailer, and you bring it over here, and you set up pipe and drape that we're going to then tear down. We're going to put up these little lights so that people find it aesthetically pleasing. They're, they serve no function other than to, to just be pleasing to the eye. There's chairs that are empty. How dare these people not show up? We set up these chairs for them. You start, you, you do this over and over. You got some coffee. Why do we do this? Why do we have no more live stream, but we're still doing cameras so that we can watch it later? Why do we have coffee? Coffee. Why do we do, why are we, why are there people getting puked on in the toddlers right now? Why? Because there's something special. Not necessarily, I'm not, this is not a brag about the Grove. This is, I want you to just see that you could find some things in different places that you're choosing to forsake because something's going on. And it's not the programs that are being offered to you. Dare I say it's not the preaching being offered to you. What is it? There's something special about God's people catching a vision to make disciples that make a difference. There's something special about that that we can sense. We go, something unique. I don't know what, but there's something special. I can't tell you how many people come to the Grove and they go, man, I've been welcomed here in ways like that I've not ever experienced. We didn't put that out for you. People just do it. You just do it. The people are the best part. There's something unique about it. But what? What would, be, what would your life be like if you didn't have this church? Where would you be right now? I know where I'd be. I'd be lost in a sea of uncertainty. I'd be wondering, man, is this, is this all there is? 
But you know, I've never done that with the Grove. There's just something special about this place. And it's not even to mention the gospel that gets shared on a regular basis and your lives are being changed. Whether you're a Christian and you're being renewed in the gospel or you're a non-Christian and you're being resurrected by the gospel, there's just something different that happens in church plants. And I want to just explain to you what it is. Why would we plant churches instead of growing bigger? Collecting our resources. We've got a building, you know. We've got this land that we want to try and get. No progress, just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> i got a meeting tomorrow, though. Nonetheless, why would we, why would we not be like, oh, sway, it's really bad timing, brother. We're, I don't know if you knew this, but we're, we're planning on getting that land, and maybe you'll get a building, and then, you know, in like 10 years you might be able to go. No, 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 no. In the midst of all that, let's not collect. Let's just send it all. Let's just send it. It's fine. We can do this if God wants it. But if he doesn't, we'll still be ascending church. Let's not wait till we get our eggs in the basket and then kind of figure it out. Let's just do it in the tension of it all. Why? Here's why. Six reasons, and I'm handing it over to Josue. He said I was going to preach long, and he might have been right. Here we go. Houston is growing by a mega church a week. The Houston area. That's 1,000 people a week. You think you need new churches? To keep up with population growth, we need to net, on average, in Texas, 10 new churches a week. That's the average we would have to do. That's 100. The average uh, church in Texas is 100 people. The average church in America is 65 people. Don't give in to the lie that every church is a megachurch. Most churches, and that includes the megachurches, we're averaging at 65 in America, 100 in Texas. If we're going to keep up with population growth alone, we need to plant 10 new churches a week. I giggled too. Because in seven plus years, we might plant one. It's a hard thing. Because we don't hear messages that are just focused on including you and including me. We've opted out as to say, well, I've never gone to seminary. Yeah, Abram didn't either. He was a moon worshiper in a foreign land. Neither did Peter. He was a fisherman. And Bartholomew and James and John and all the rest, uneducated. And yet God called them and they said, okay, I'll go. Houston is growing. Secondly, new churches reach more people than established churches. Check out this quote from Tim Keller in an article he wrote some 20 years ago on planting new churches. He says, the average new congregation will bring six to eight times more new people into the life of the body of Christ than an older congregation of the same size. And many of you are the result of that. Many of you were burnt out on church, unchurched, de-churched, didn't like Jesus, didn't care about Jesus. And all of a sudden, somebody came to your living room, to your table at the coffee shop, to your, your place over at Shogun, and said, hey, you need Jesus. You should come to my neighborhood group. Literally the things that have happened in this church. When you plant a church, number three, when you plant a church, you put the kingdom outpost in a city who cares for the orphan, who cares for the widow, who cares for the poor, and begins to bless others with what God has given them. Every church then now goes out and blesses orphans, widows, and the poor, and the immigrant, and the foreign, which if you haven't heard, there's plenty of those in the world today that need care. Churches are the ones that are assigned and appointed to do that. Fourth, we are devoted as a church to the apostles' teaching, which, again, includes the Great Commission, but it's also the gospel centrality. We're, we're, we're devoted to the prayers, 
being dependent. We're devoted to the fellowship, the, the partnering for God's purposes. We're, develop, we're, 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 we're devoted to the breaking of bread, not just communion, but also remembering Jesus in all of life. We're devoted to missional living or multiplying. Church planting helps us stay true to that mission while laying down the idols of bigger, better, faster, and instead clinging to God in dependence. Number five, will we be a people that celebrate our seating or our sending? Our addition by gathering or our multiplication? Six, whole church health is established when we plant churches. When you multiply out, it means Josue will leave a big gap on the elder body. It means that other people are going to have to fill gaps. It means that some people that lead road crew and Sunday serve teams in the nursery are no longer going to be here at this body, which means that God may have brought you here or send you there to fill spots that you've never done before. And your priesthood will get activated. Your spiritual gifts will all of a sudden be distributed to the whole church, and you will start to live dependently right, in prayer in ways that you are not afforded by coming and sitting and receiving week after week. Whole, her, whole church health is really a lot at the heart of what we're up to. So that's the what. That's a little bit of the why, brother pastor, if you will take it from here. <laughs> If you're clapping because I'm leaving or if he's coming, <laughs> take my things. It's just such a good sermon, bro. Yeah. All right. Bye. <laughs> Buenos dias, familia. You're probably thinking, oh, no, not another sermon. Um, but I anticipated Lance going a little long, so um, I will be brief. Um, for those of you that do not know me, my name is Josue, and I have the privilege of serving here as one of the elders. Um, but I've also had the privilege of being here since 2014 when uh, God called Lance to plant this church. Um, and more than just giving you information on the how we're going to plant, I, I want you to listen and, and uh, clearly see this with me, that we are doing this uh, not just from an information standpoint, but out of a conviction, out of a deep conviction that we all have that comes from Matthew 28 that we are all in this room called to go and be disciple makers, that we are called to go and share the good news of Jesus and baptize uh, the world around us into the body of Christ. And then in Acts 1-8, Jesus tells us in his last words, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so if you didn't know this prior to today, let me encourage you to realize this today. And I was really excited about coming up here today and hopefully reawakening in us something that maybe has been a little bit dormant through the pandemic where we went inward, we got a little isolated. But to reawaken, to reactivate this reality that you and I are called to be witnesses. Jesus doesn't say in Acts 1-8, maybe you'll be my witnesses. He doesn't say that. He says, you will be my witnesses, meaning that you and I are called to be missionaries in our Jerusalem, in our backyards, Judea, Samaria, and then he goes on to the ends of the earth. And there is this call, even from Genesis 1, even into Matthew 28, even into Acts, that we would go to the ends of the earth with this good news of Jesus. You see, Lance alluded to this a little bit, but you and I are sitting and standing here today because someone said yes to the call. 
someone was discontent with the status quo and felt God press into his heart to step out and to go and bring the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, into Fort Bend County. And he stepped out in faith. And then his wife followed, and the family followed, and then a group of families followed. And I was fortunately a part of that group early on, and we dreamed big about what it would look like to step into Fort Bend County and reach this entire county with the good news of Jesus Christ. Before I go on, I just want to take a pause And I just want to say to the Williams family and Lance, thank you for being obedient, for setting an example for us. And I know Lance doesn't like this. I know it's not for praise, but you you guys have set an example for us of what it means to be sacrificial, to be obedient, to step out in faith. And now we get to replicate that into a new area. And we get to continue to dream big, forgot to do big things, but we're just, I know I'm personally a product of a a disciple maker who's uh, stepped into my life and asked me hard questions like, uh, what's going on in your soul? How's your soul these days? And I remember one of the first two times sitting down with Lance, him asking me that, and I just, I didn't even know how to answer that question. Like, what's in my soul? I don't, uh, bro, I don't don't know. But he was consistent and faithful to love me and to disciple me and to help show me who Jesus is. And then ultimately, over the past few years, God's confirmed that call in my life and and developed that passion in me and that conviction in me that I am a witness and I'm called to go make uh, disciples all around us. And so today we have this opportunity to awaken this again. And so I'm just going to briefly tell you how we're going to do this. Um, And how we do this is we do this as a family. So I want you to think into the future just for a second, 20, 25 years from now. And I want you to envision your kids. And I want you to envision your kids married. And I want you to envision your kids with kids. So now you're grandparents. So you're a little bit older, and you probably don't want to envision yourself as a grandparent. And you're envisioning this, and now I want you to envision your two, three kids with their spouses and their two or three kids, you know, a family of about maybe 15 at this point, and you're all living in your house still. How many of you are like, sign me up, bro? Like, I want that. I want my kids to stay home. No, right? You see, by design... As a family, we're created to grow and actually to be sent and multiply out, right? Now, we stay connected as family, but even in our blood family, there is this design that we would grow up, that we would mature, and that we would go out into the world and do the same with a spouse, create our, uh, uh, have our kids, and then multiply out. And so that is also true for the body of Christ. That is also true for us here as a family of God. And so how we're going to do this is ultimately as a family of God. We're going to multiply out of the Grove Church, and we're going to head into Sugarland. that may not seem that far from here, but it's another part of town that also needs to hear the good news of Jesus, that also needs the gospel. And we're going to head to Sugarland, and we're going to plant Koinonia Church. All right, so this is the first time you're probably hearing this, but we're going to go plant Koinonia Church. Now, if you've never heard that word, it is not a craze for coins, all right? It's not like coin mania. It's the it is uh, the coin church. This is not it. This is uh, in the Greek fellowship. It is what we get from Acts 2.42, where it says that the early church devoted themselves to the fellowship. And that's a weak translation for what this word is. 
What this word is, is a communion between us and God, a communion between us and the brethren, and this joint partnership to be about the mission of God. And so as we look to Sugarland and we see the context, the mission is the same. We're going to go and make disciples that make disciples, plant churches that plant churches. But our context is a little bit different than here in Richmond. And in Sugarland, the, the, the context looks a little different as far as ethnic makeup, socioeconomic diversity, subculture that exists there. But those people, those families, those neighborhoods also need to hear the good news of Jesus. And so in us is this deep conviction that we live in that area. And so we are to go and take the good news of Jesus Christ to that area so that more people may know the name of Jesus Christ in this county. And so as we head down to plant Koinonia Church, out of this deep conviction conviction to be disciple makers, to plant churches that plant churches, um, we have some easy ways for us to do this together. Um, over the past few months, uh, you've probably been hearing about this, and maybe you in your mind have thought, man, bro, like, good for you. God bless you. Like, you're going to kill it. Maybe not. I don't know. I've heard you preaching. Maybe you're not going to kill it. <laughs> Whatever your posture's been, maybe your posture hasn't been, hey, we're planting a church. Hey, I'm helping plant a church. And today I want to uh, present to you this notion that I'm not planting a church, not by myself anyways, that we as a family, as the Grove Church family, are going to plant this church in Sugarland, Texas. I can't do this by myself. I have nothing to give other than Jesus, and I can't do this in my own strength, in my own merit. This is something that I have to do collectively. We see Abram's call, and it says that he gathered his family and his uh, brother-in-law and the immediate family and his belongings, and he went. He, he didn't say, hey, guys, God called me to go be a blessing to the nations. I'll check in with y'all in a couple of months and left by himself. He didn't do that. He went with a core family group to go and do that. And so that means that there is an invitation not just for me to go and plant, and for the families that have already committed to go and plant, but maybe there is a conviction that is starting to be birthed inside of you that we're not, I'm not doing this by myself, but we're doing this together. And so I have some practical ways for you to think about how you are going to plant a church, how you are going to be a part of planting a church. And by the way, if you didn't know this, this is a church plant. So even if you don't go with us, you are still planting a church here. We're creating space in this room, like Lance said, for new lives. We're creating space in your living rooms for new lives and new families to hear the good news of Jesus. And then those of us going to Sugarland are creating a new space, are creating new uh, places where we can gather to serve the good news of Jesus. And so how can we do this together as a family? This is the invitation to plant together. The first way is pray. If you haven't been praying with me, let me invite you to pray with us. At the anniversary lunch, I sent out a link um, offering you the opportunity to have a dialogue with me and just kind of give us some feedback. I had one person fill out the link. Sweetie, thank you. I'm glad you're going with me to plant. Um, I was a little worried she wasn't going to go, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, but um, I'm not going to give you a link today. I, I think we're family, right? And so I think you and I can dialogue and talk about this. But the first starting place for this today is prayer. Um, if you haven't been praying, please let me invite you to consider praying. And there's two ways that I specifically want to invite you to pray. First one is pray to God and ask him, Lord, how do you want me to be a part of this plant? How do you want me to be a part of this church planting movement that you are doing and starting in this county? So just pray, Lord, how do you want me to be a part of this plant? And whatever he says, it's as simple as this, obey. And the second way 
I want you to pray with us is for the harvest. That God would prepare the hearts of the families that need to hear these good news in Sugarland. And also, God would prepare the hearts of the people that we still have yet to reach here in Richmond. There's still a lot of room and opportunity in the neighborhoods around us for us to share these good news. And so that God would prepare the harvest in Sugarland and Richmond. And by the way, we're praying that this would be a movement in our county in this little part of the world. So pray, how can I be a part of this planting, uh, of this church plant, and how, and pray for the harvest. Two, give. Uh, this doesn't happen without some financial means. And I don't want you to hear me this morning saying, hey, I feel guilty if you don't give. That's not what this is. Remember the first step, to pray. So however God leads you to do this, if he leads you to do that, and praise God, give. Give to the grove and designate it to church planting, and the grove will pass that along to Koinonia and to the other church plants that are hopefully coming down, down the line so that we have the resources to go and meet and build um, new churches, plant new churches for the kingdom of God. So pray, give, and the final one that we have is simple, go. There's three ways that we'd love to invite you guys to go with us. Simple way to go is that we would have this team here that stays at the Grove Church, but you guys are here to fill in a need. So you would be going to meet a need. So on a Sunday gathering or maybe even throughout the week when we have a need, that you guys would be a part of a team that we could call upon as our family, as some of the muscle to come and help us carry on the mission in Sugarland. And so as needed, you guys would get to come in and help lead worship or help us lead slides or help teach some of our new people because we're stretched thin how to lead a, a growth group, that you guys would be able to come in and in a short-term basis meet an immediate need that comes up week in and week out. Second way you can go with us is maybe for a year. And so maybe you're thinking, man, I, I'm kind of curious about that. I don't know if I'm ready to leave here. What? So commit for 12 months with us, maybe a little bit longer after that, but commit for 12 months to come to help support us, to help support the team that's planting um, over this 12-month period, to help us develop systems, to help us develop ways to be a blessing to our community in Sugarland. And so that means that you would come with us for the designation of a year, knowing that it's kind of like uh, Kobe said this, kind of like fostering. Like, you know there's kind of an end time to that, but you're pouring in, you're loving, and you're creating a strong relationship during that time. And so we'd ask that you consider that. And then the final way to go, so go for a need, go for a year, or go all in. Maybe today's message stirred you to think, maybe there's something greater to my life than comfort, safety, security, the suburban life. Maybe there's something greater. Maybe that something greater is to go and make disciples to be incarnational, to be the people that have se that seven years ago stepped out in obedience so that today we get to enjoy the fruits of this. And maybe you're thinking, maybe God's calling me to do the same so that seven years from now in Sugarland, seven years from now in Katy and Cinco Ranch and Rosenberg, and maybe even into Houston, that years from now, other families could be sitting in those rooms, in this room, thinking the same thing. Man, I am so grateful that these families stepped out into faith and in obedience to go and make disciples, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in our county. So with that, I am going to leave you with my email. It's up here. It's Josue at the Groves Church. If you don't know how to spell that, Lance says Josu. So that's an easy way for you to remember it. Josu at the Grove Church. All right? And so I want you to shoot me an email, and let's sit down and talk, and let's process what it would look like for you to help plant Koinonia Church in Sugarland, 
And if it's not that, then maybe how you can continue your journey here at the Grove Church here in Richmond um, so that God can continue to use all of us as a family to really reach our neighbors and our neighbor- and neighborhoods with the gospel. So, invitation simple, pray and obey. And as you pray, let's sit down, let's talk, let's discover, and let's dream big of what God could do through just a small community here in Richmond that's starting to multiply out. And who knows what could happen 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when we look out, our kids are seeing the fruit of families that were faithful to say, here am I, Lord, send me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that um, it wasn't because of anything great that we did that you chose us. It was because of the great work of Christ on the cross that we have the opportunity to come to faith and be a part of the family of God. But being family is not the end of the mission. In fact, it's the start of the mission. Being family is the call to serve one another, to serve our area, to bring this gospel renewal to our neighborhoods, to the networks, to the nations. And the way we are able to do that is not just through service, but through actually being active missionaries in our context. By opening our mouths, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ through a meal, through a coffee, through relating at the gym, through different opportunities that we have week in and week out at the baseball field with our neighbors as we're watering the lawn, whatever it is that we're doing, that we have been called to something greater than comfort, security, safety, and the suburban life. We've been called to make disciples, to be missionaries on the go. And so, Father God, this morning, I just pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and in our minds to awaken in us this passion to make disciples for your kingdom, not for the kingdom here on earth of any small local body or church, but ultimately for the kingdom of God, that we would truly bring the kingdom to bear here in our context, that we would be able to say, as it is in heaven, it is here on earth that we would be lights, beacons of light, outposts of light here in Richmond, in Sugarland, and in the many other cities here around us that we are yet to go into and plant churches to saturate these areas with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've been so gracious to us to save us, to call us, to bring us into this family, Lord. Who are we to withhold that kind of blessing from others? No one. Just stir into us this passion, fan into flame this desire to be about your mission and your kingdom and not our own. And let us be men and women who are faithful as we pray to listen and to obey. Give us wisdom, give us courage, and give us your spirit to live this out.